The following audio is from The Village Church. More information about The Village Church is available at www.thevillagechurch.net. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab them. Genesis chapter 1 uh, is where we're going to start. Uh, last weekend, we tackled uh, the ideas of really guilt and shame and what to do with guilt and shame and, and looked at how what God had done for us in Jesus Christ and how the gospel interacted with guilt and shame. Uh, and that ultimately, when all said and done, uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ drives out both the, the fact that we have fallen short of God's right and good decree, but but also uh, that the gospel of Jesus Christ drives out our shame. So you, you've got a guilt, which is a falling short of a standard, namely the law of God. And then you have shame that can be felt either because of uh, guilt or simply because we don't measure up to what we think we should measure up to. And so what God does in uh, justification or in granting to us the righteousness of Christ and taking from us our sins is he drives away guilt. We looked at the book of Colossians where it says he has canceled the record of debt. And so the good news, the gospel, the good news uh, about what Christ has done for us is that the record of debt has been canceled. If you are a believer in Christ, all of your sins, past, present, and future accounted for on the cross of Jesus Christ, nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ so that you are, according to the word of God, guiltless. Right? That happened on the cross, but then we still have to deal with shame because guilt and shame aren't the same thing. And so shame is dealt with by the adopting love of our heavenly father calling us to himself as his children. And so delight with full knowledge of every dark crevice of our heart so unnerves and unwinds us that it drives out shame because even, even at our youngest being delighted in is difficult. I uh, used the illustration just because it struck me as poignant when I was studying and getting ready for that message last weekend. That on, on Thursday, this is, I think this is the illustration I used. On, on Thursday's our family night. And, and so, uh, we rotate through our children. We don't just pick one children, every, one child, and every week go, you're awesome, while the other two just watch, all right? But, uh, it was Nora's turn. So we stood Nora up on a chair on our dining room table and everybody got to go around the room and just say some, one, say something we really love about her and what she brings to our family. You can only use one. You can't use up all of them and leave nobody else in the room with, with anything to say. All right, it's Lawrence. Lawrence like, and this, and this, and that. I'm like, baby, there are four of us here. Leave something for us. And, and so what I noticed is that when, when, we were trying to just say, you bring joy to our family. You bring an energy that no one else brings. Can you imagine that? You bring, we're trying to bless her. And what I picked up on is she wouldn't, she couldn't look at us. I mean, she's smiling, so she likes it, but she, she couldn't, right? I mean, she couldn't look at us. And so even at four, like, what do you have to be ashamed of when you're four? I don't know that it's shame as much as it's just even difficult at her level of innocence, four-year-old innocence, all right? And so I don't mean guiltlessness. I, I mean innocence. Are you tracking with me? Somebody with a child better say amen right now because I'm preaching, all right? And, and so then when all said and done, she, her innocence, she still can't handle it. And I said, hey, listen, isn't this a perfect picture of what we're like? How much more difficult is it for us to believe that God likes us and delights in us because we know who we are? We don't even delight in us, all right? And those of us who do delight in ourselves are just deceived in our delight in ourselves, 
In fact, it's been my experience that the more brazen a guy, because some of you are thinking, you got no problem. You can tell me how awesome I am. I'll stare you right in your face. Amen, brother. You're right. I'm glad you saw that because I was putting it out there. All right. I have found that to be almost a hundred percent of the time, a type of insecurity that is fronted out, out of self-hate. And, and so really your bravado does nothing but actually reveal your own insecurities. And, and so then ultimately we just marveled at the fact that when our heavenly father sees us and has compassion on us and throws the ring on our finger and the robe on us and new feet and kills the fatted calf and starts the party over the fact that we were wayward in the pit with the pigs, squandering his property with prostitutes and bar hopping. He felt compassion and rejoiced that we came home. That drives out shame. And so what I want to do this week is look at what we're to do with fear and anxiety. Before we get going here, let, let's do this. Uh, how many of you would say, safe place, it's church, trust me, you'll find out as this sermon progresses, this is a safe place. Um, how many of you would say fear and anxiety has at cert- a certain level marked my life? Go ahead, get it up. Oh, don't be afraid. Come on, man. It's just like, I don't want to do it. Yes. So look around, keep your hand up, look around. Fear and anxiety. You see, listen, so look at me. You're not alone. That in of itself should be helpful. Oh, thank God. I was so afraid that I was the only one that wrestled with fear and anxiety. Look, that, that, was, that was almost unanimous in here. Almost unanimous. So we've got to do something with fear and anxiety because it, is, it is not in line with God's good and right design. In fact, let me show you that. Uh, if you're in Genesis chapter 1, I'm just going to pick it up in verse 28. Here's what we find. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them as food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, listen to 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So if we get our mind around what's happened at God's good and right design, now you've got the man and the woman, we've already read, naked and unashamed. So in innocence and in honor, living in a world, reigning in a certain way in a world as viceroys of the king of glory, in the image of God, in the middle of this garden, here's the command, fill the earth and subdue it. That's called the cultural mandate. Make the rest of wild earth look like Eden here. Go and build and make laws and build cities and grow. Be fruitful and multiply. And and so we have the state of the man and the woman before sin is introduced, not only being one of innocence and honor, but also being one of peace and prosperity. There is no death. There is no, oh, Adam accidentally fell out of a tree and broke his neck. Like, that doesn't exist. There's no disease. There's no, like, they live in a world where there's nothing but safety. There's no such thing as death. Think about that. Not only that, but, but there's no hindrance. The Bible's even, we're going to be able to deduct by reading Genesis 3 that you can work hard and it never feel laborious. 
relational unity. He's not getting in a fight with Eve. Right? He hasn't said, that woman you gave me yet? Innocence, honor, peace, and prosperity. God's good design. Genesis 3. If there was a chapter, it'd be great if it didn't exist. Well, no, it wouldn't be great because then we wouldn't understand why everything's jacked up. Let's look at verse 19, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 19. This is at the end of the pronouncement against Adam. We know some of this also applies to the woman. And we know that because, I don't know if you're paying attention, women die too. All right, so, so let's look at this. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, for those of us who have known nothing but the fallen world, death is a bit scary, all right? For someone who had a moment when death didn't exist, can you imagine the shudder that must have run through their bodies when this is the pronouncement? For out of the dust you were taken, dust you will return. And, and now all that was peace and all that was prosperous becomes death and decay, becomes fear and anxiety. And fear and anxiety began to um, work in the hearts of men and women in a horrific way. And to this day, robs the children of God from the delight in God that they should walk in, the peace and the prosperity that they should walk in. Now, since I'm using the word prosperity, and that's a dangerous word, I need to uh, back up a little bit and let's chat. So yes, God's good and creative design is that men and women were created by God in innocence and in honor, all right? In innocence, guilt-free, and honor of high value and dignity, and they were given peace and prosperity. But you need to look right at me right now. Those were not the end game, but rather were an overflow of the relationship they had with God. And so ultimately, innocence and honor weren't an end in themselves, but rather flowed freely from an intimate relationship with God. And the absence of innocence and honor wasn't because they did certain things, but rather because they had been cut off from right relationship with God. So what we're after is not peace and prosperity, but rather to be redeemed and reconciled to our heavenly father from whom flows peace and prosperity. So the end goal is God. The end goal is not really what God brings about in a life that's reconciled to him, but rather God himself, because God is our peace. God is our innocence. It's the righteousness of God that redeems us, not our righteousness, his righteousness. He's our innocence. He is our honor. Our dignity was given to us by God. We are made in his image. Male and female, he made them. To be prosperous is to be in right standing with God. Prosperity has little to do with money. And and I'll say that because I've met some really, really pathetic, miserable, wicked billionaires. So how's that brother prosperous? Well, he's got a jet and he flies around it in a misery. You, you want to call that prosperous? I say, man, you're all, your lenses are foggy. And so what are we to do with fear and anxiety since it marks so many of us? Well, we've got to look back at our father, make sure that relationship is right, and let him do work with uh, our fear and anxiety. Now, um, 
when Jesus goes after fear and anxiety, he, he does it in a way that really is uncomfortable. So just going to lay that before you. Uh, what I mean by that is, is he wants to kind of put his arm around us and walk us straight through fear to the other side to point back and show us that we didn't really have a lot to be afraid of. All right, so here's why I want to warn you that as we walk through Matthew chapter 6, we're going to have to walk through some of the things that's kind of scary. And so you'll feel some, ah, don't go there, but we've got to go there so that we can get to the other side so we can look back and go, oh, okay. All right, so that's what we've got to do. You just prepare your heart. I know some of you are already wishing that you wouldn't have come too late. Well, I guess you can try to walk, but security, go ahead and bar those doors. We, we would never do that. It's a fire code violation. Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at this. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 25. Jesus will lean in heavy and he will land compassionately. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, let's just stop because some of you are like, hey, I got no problem with food and clothing, bro. If that's Jesus' illustration, I'm out because I have not gone, oh, no, what am I going to eat today? I have gone, oh, no, where am I going to eat today? But I have not gone, oh, no, what am I going to eat? And look at me, channel. I did not, I do not care what I'm wearing. All right, I just threw something on and, and came up here. So, so really what's happening here, really we need to unpack in that last line that Jesus just said, where he begins to talk about the priority by which we look at life, how we value different things. Because he says, is not life more than food and, and is not the body more than clothing? And so what Jesus is saying here, one of the ways he's kind of dialing us into how fear and anxiety works is by saying, be careful at what value you give certain things because the more value you give specific things, the more fear and anxiety will rule and reign around those things. And so if you hold too tightly to things that shouldn't be held too tightly to, fear and anxiety will mark your life. So we'll use some easy ones and some harder ones. Um, money. Money's important, is it not? Let's be straight. I'm not about to take an offering. Money's important. All right, okay, now people are raising their hand. All right, oh, okay, yeah, no, it is. All right, so we pay rent with it. We buy food with it. We send our kids to school, uh, to college with it. We get vehicles, we get gas. So money is somewhat important in, in the scope of things, but you better not make money too important. You make money too important, fear and anxiety are gonna mark your life. See, when you're talking fear and anxiety, what you're actually talking about is who's the sovereign reigning rule of your life. You make money too important and fear and anxiety are going to mark you. That's an easy one. You make stuff too important. You ever notice that when you were broke, you didn't care about your stuff like you do when you actually got a little bit of change in your pocket and got nicer stuff? So here's what happened to me this week. I don't think this is fear and anxiety, but I did watch this pop up and go, okay, I got to do something with that. Um, We got landscaping done in our front yard. It looks amazing. Like until then, it was just I mean, like the jungle. Like I was just waiting for the Viet Cong to pop up at me, all right? I mean, it was just bad. And then should I not have said that? Uh, and, and so in the end, we just had it landscaped. And now all of a sudden, I don't want the kids running in it like that. I was like, don't play in the beds. I mean, I didn't care before we got all that done. They were like, eh, running around, picking up stones, throwing them. And now I'm like, get out of them. And I'm like, wait a minute, why, why is all of a sudden do I really, right? Because when things increase in value, 
They began to matter more to us. You got to be careful. Like you drive an old hoopty car, you, you probably don't always worry about every little scratch and every little ding on it, all right? But if you drive a really nice car, you notice those things. Like, who did that? Oh, this car did that? I got to stop. This is me being tired. I was in Canada yesterday morning, so a little winded, and this is what happens when I get tired. Uh, and so ultimately, you began to care about Now, you want to do a hard one? I, I can make the giggling go away. Children. Children are a gift from God. Look at me. I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 4-year-old, and God didn't owe me any of them. The Bible clearly says that children are a gift from the Lord. Now, has he given me the task of protecting and providing and caring and shaping and leading? Yes. Can I ultimately protect them from all that is dark in the world? Absolutely not. And listen, parent, to try even is to build a resentment in your kid. I mean, you try that helicopter stuff, see what happens. You think your kid is grateful that you're everywhere they go? Then you're like, thank you for your care for me. Uh, you really think that's what's happening in their heart? Listen, your job is to lead them towards adulthood. And adulthood doesn't begin when they're 27 and you finally let them go out on their own. And so it's scary to have kids. I'm not trying to say it's not scary. It's terrifying at some level to have kids. And yet, are we informed by the word of God that says children are a gift from the Lord, a heritage from God? See, you, you exalt them too much, your fear over them will consume you and rob you from the enjoyment of them and, and probably suck a lot of laughter out of your house. And, and hear me. I believe with all my heart that God delights in the laughter of Christian homes. He loves it when we, I mean, like gut laugh, kind of like wake up sore, maybe pop out a rib kind of laugh. Should work towards that, daddies. Should work towards that. It's not going to make them disrespect you that you're fun. Oh, crusty. Sheesh, come on. All right, we don't have time for this. I've got to get back online. Did so well last week at, at 42 minutes, and this is, this is tracking at about two hours right now. All right, now, from there, look at the example he's going to give. He's saying, watch your priorities. Watch how you categorize things, because when you misplace things, that's called idolatry, and now fear and anxiety are going to grow in your life. And then he wants you to consider something. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So now he's using an example that I think is an important example, because the default, if we're not careful, is, well, I'll just sit back and not do any. All right, Chandler. Well, they, if God's got my kids, then God's got my kids. Got, and then the, the default position maybe becomes one of busyness. So I love his illustrations. Look at the birds. I don't know if you watch birds. My wife has taught me to do this. Like if there's a red bird or blue bird, even now, I'm like, oh, did you see that blue bird? I, I don't know what happened. My wife did that to me. That did not exist to me before I got married. And now I just spot stuff like that. Did you see that red bird? Where? It's over there. Look. No, no, no. To the left. To the left. So um, I, here's what I've noticed. Birds aren't lazy. I don't even notice that. They are not lazy. They are super active. They are building. They, they are feeding. They are, but, but here's the thing. They don't have thumbs and they don't build um, excessive. You've got a refrigerator. You tracking with me? You've got a refrigerator. Are you, how many of you got air conditioning? Is it unanimous in here? Everybody got air conditioning? 
All right, so we've got, we're able to do things that other creatures that have not been made in the image of God are, are not able to do. And so the Bible's saying here, if God cares for the birds, if God provides for the birds that are of so much lesser value than you are, will he not take care of you? I mean, they don't have 401ks. You know what happens when they get old? They die, stuff eats them. They get run over by your car. This is what happens when a bird gets older. And yet, does not the Lord provide for them? And aren't you of more value than they? And and so you get this kind of encouragement from Jesus to, to work hard, be good stewards, and then trust the Lord. Don't be a fool, be wise, but trust him. And then I, I love the, the next line, although it, it, it's a difficult line. Look at verse 27. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? (laughs) None of us. And and so he literally is saying here, quit torturing yourself. Quit torturing yourself. And then look where he, he goes next. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. This is where he's going to walk them into fear. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Look at 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Now that's an interesting line right there that if he spends this kind of care on what's alive, today and it's gone tomorrow on the grass of the field that is picked up and thrown into the oven. Not the fire, but the oven. Now I want to try to explain why. In the first century, they made daily bread, which is why when Jesus does the Lord's prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us our bread necessary to sustain life today. Now how did they bake that bread? Not by cutting down a bunch of trees, but they would pull up the grass of the field and they would use those grass, that flowers, to fuel the ovens by which they baked their daily bread. And, and so Jesus, not shying away from the fact that we are most certainly going to die. And in fact, we are at this point, uh, we are 39 minutes closer than we were when we started this service. We don't know the day and we don't know the hour and some of us won't see next year. Stop it, Matt. Some of you will not be alive this time next year. And yet Jesus says here, if the Lord is so detailed and careful about the lilies of the field and how they're arrayed in splendor, such splendor that they put Solomon to shame, how much much more value are you to him than they are? So again, this goes back to who we're trusting, who's reigning and ruling over our hearts. And then you've got to read this next line. We're going to do some real talk here on this next line. Look at verse 30 again. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows you need them all. Now, when when all said and done here, here, here's kind of bottom line before we land on Christ's compassionate response to our day in and day out fears and anxiety. He, he throws out here that the weapon we have been given to fight fear and anxiety is faith 
that God is ultimately good and reigns and rules over our lives in a way that is more rich in wisdom than our own reign over our lives. And, and so this topic for me, this is not a topic that's outside the, the realm of my own personal experience. Uh, I put my son in an ambulance and rushed him to the emergency room. Uh, I stayed up all night long with a nurse in Louisville Hospital with uh, cold wash rags trying to drive the fever of Nora down when she was six months old in the hopes that her fever would come down from 105 in, in the hopes that she would be all right. Four years ago, I had a seizure that revealed a mass in my right frontal lobe, had to have a craniotomy, big chunk of my brain cut out, did 18 months of chemo, six weeks of radiation still am frequently scanned to make sure it's not coming back because they have said it most definitely will come back. I love the confidence of doctors who have already been wrong once. And, and so when all said and done, when I'm talking fear and anxiety and faith in God, I am not boldly encouraging you in that direction with no real knowledge of how difficult that is. I have laid in my bed and wondered what it was going to be like because when doctors say you got two or three years to live, we're going to fight this cancer with chemo. That doesn't mean, hey, the last three years of your life are going to be awesome. Get your bucket list ready. It's we're going to poison you and torture you in the hopes of saving you, probably not not going to work. So you're going to have a miserable two or three years, be almost non-existent for the third and then die. Thanks doc. That's great news. And so then I've got to wonder about my kids. Like, are they going to grow bitter to the Lord? They're going to grow angry against the King that I love so much. I have enough life insurance. Is everybody going to be okay? I understand what it's like to lay in bed at night and go, what's going to happen? And, and then just to be really straight with you, um, for the last four years, almost everyone I have met that, that was either diagnosed before me or diagnosed after me with similar things to what they diagnosed me with, they've done great. I mean, just nobody's died. Everybody's been great. And then just recently, like on a rash, things have done two funerals now. Uh, for good friends that, that battled well and then just died. In fact, um, two weeks ago, uh, a woman who I'd become friends with, who was diagnosed four months after me with something very similar, went on home to be with the Lord. And that creates, I'm just going to be straight, that creates a fresh anxiety in me, a fresh fear in me that, that I've got to kind of lay before the Lord and just be honest that, God, I need help trusting you here. I know you've got me. I know I'm in your hands. Please build my confidence back up in your sovereign goodness and grace. In fact, one of the most merciful things the Lord ever did to me was allowing me to understand that all the control that I thought I had was an illusion. As weird as this might sound to you, it was a real warm blanket to my soul to finally one night just be laying in bed and going, God, there's nothing I can do. I just trust you. I mean, what's going to save me? More spinach? Are you serious? Just up my blueberry intake? That's going to drive it out of me? That's going to fix me? No, that's absurd. Be a good steward, but that's not going to rescue what I have. I'm going to save me from what is assuredly coming for me, i.e. death. But who's to say it won't happen today on these slippery cold roads on the way home? Doctors might be underselling me in the amount of time they're giving me. You know, seven to ten, me die today, and then they'd be wrong again. The Lord's marked out my days. My confidence needs to be put in that place. It is a freeing thing to understand you have no control. 
Isn't that terrifying for you control freaks? Even now you're trying to figure out how to control your lack of control. Okay, so if I have no control, how do I control not having control, right? That's how you're, you're already starting to try to figure out, okay, how do I do this then? How do I not lose control of the control that I don't have? And this just kind of builds fear and anxiety in us. And he says, oh, you of little faith. Can I, the worst thing you can do with fear, look at me, the worst thing you can do with fear and anxiety is pretend that you're strong and don't have it. Let, let's keep going. I want to show you this. The next thing he says here is verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, we have to do something with that text. It is never okay for us to have cliche text that we haven't actually thought through. Because here's what just happened. Jesus just said around food and clothing in particular or about fear and anxiety as the driving theme, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now we've got to do something with that. Let me tell you why. If you know Christian history, there have been many of our brothers and sisters that have starved to death. Either under the wickedness of a tyrannical regime or in some natural droughts. And our brothers and sisters have starved to death. We have frozen to death. We have roasted in the desert. So, so what are we to make with this claim of Jesus Christ? Now, this has to do with posturing. So if, if you're cynical and if you're a skeptic, you go, see, can't be true. God won't do that. Let's fuel the fear and anxiety. And yet, one of the things I want to... Const- so again, I, I say a lot of things to you over and over again because I think if they'll take root in you, your, your shot at joy increases exponentially. And, and here's what I think we do with this text. Every fear and anxiety you currently walk in, no matter how legitimate or illegitimate, because there are legitimate fears and then there are illegitimate fears that are still painful, still difficult, but there's no real basis in reality for them. We just kind of like, oh, what if that happened? All right? In the end, all of them will seem silly 20,000 years from now. They will all seem silly. Any ounce of anxiety you feel about anything will seem silly 20,000 years from now. 20,000 years from now with the king of glory, looking back on what we were afraid of in this season, it will feel silly to us. That doesn't change the weight of today, but it does grant us hope to believe that seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness has all these things added unto us. Has all these things added unto us. You will not use God for bread. You will get God and he will be enough. And sometimes your fear and anxiety will lead you into more of him. And then we begin to see the compassion of Jesus Christ around this issue begin to take place. 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. That is a great line. All right, now here's why. If all of your fears are on tomorrow, you have no capacity to enjoy the goodness of God on your life today. Like right now, I'm healthy. My three kids are healthy. My marriage is going well. We have very little drama in our world right now, and that's awesome. And I don't want to be like, well, drama's coming tomorrow. Somebody will jack this up. 
You know, you can't, you can't live in, in the silver lining of every cloud. Eventually you're going to the dark middle. No, that's absurd. I just want to be grateful today. I get to spend all day today celebrating the Lord. I get to preach, and then I get to preach again, and then we have a longtime staff member that's transitioning off uh, and, and rolling up to a church plant um, in, in southern Denton. I'm going to go to her little reception, just celebrate how faithful she's been to the Lord, how she's marked my daughter, how she's poured. And then I get to come back for elder prayer, and then we've got memory all day long. I get to get to be happily tired in the Lord. I want to be grateful for that. I want to be grateful for that. I just got to fly up to Canada and do a large men's retreat. Took my son with me. I mean, me and my boy standing in front of him. He didn't get up on stage, although he wanted to. Uh, um, stand in front of seven, 8,000 Canadian men and just fearlessly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let him see and marvel at that. Let him sit next to me. Let us have great conversations, sleep in a hotel room together. Get, just got good time with my boy. Just want to be grateful for that. I don't want to be going, oh, God, what if he starts to do drugs when he's 15? I mean, how am I going to protect him from idiot kids that might get into his life? God, how am I going to protect him from internet pornography? How am I going to, right? I, I want to be where I am and rejoice in the goodness of God right now because tomorrow has enough trouble for itself. Now, here's, here's where you're really going to see the compassion of Jesus Christ lean into us. Watch this. Look at the very next line. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Or if you have the NIV, today has enough trouble of its own. Okay, so let me tell you why I think that's a super compassionate statement by Jesus Christ. You were just given permission to deal with anxiety and fear today. Now, how do you deal with it? You give it over to the Lord. So today we'll have fear and anxiety. What do we do? We give that over to the Lord. We lay that down. We don't let that be compounded with tomorrow's trouble. We simply stay in today. Now here's, I, I want to press on you this truth, and I think it's going to sting, but it becomes of utmost importance for your joy and freedom from fear and anxiety. The bottom line in most fear and anxiety is you simply don't trust that God is good. Look at me. Don't lie about that. There's no freedom for you if you can't say, I don't trust that you're good. I don't trust that you have my best interest. I don't trust that you're going to provide for me. I don't trust that you're good enough. I don't trust that you'll be enough for me. And so I've got to take it and I've got to worry about it and I've got to listen. You've got to get to the point where you're not pretending that that's not in there. It's of no help for anyone to pretend that you don't trust God. You need to say it. You need to let the Holy Spirit break you in your confession of it. And then we can deal with fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety is never going to lose its power over you until you can be honest about what drives it, namely that you don't trust that God's good. And that should open up a whole nother other can of issues because why don't you trust him? Well, I'm guessing something marked you in your past. I'm guessing you've seen some things that make you nervous. I'm guessing that you're owning some things that you ultimately don't own. You've valued some things beyond what they should be valued. Not that they're not important, but they're just not of utmost importance. And until you can get to the place that you go, I don't trust you, God. I don't trust you. I don't think you're good. I don't think that ultimately you're going to be for my good. Then we can't move past into letting the Holy Spirit accomplish what he accomplishes when we're finally honest about who we actually are. Jesus says, today has enough trouble of its own. So let's deal with it today. Let's hand it over to the Lord and say, help me, I'm fearful here. 
So how do we do that? So very quickly, 1 John chapter 1. You don't actually have to turn there. I'm going to put it on the screen for you, unless you just want to turn there. There's much in this text. Uh, I just want to point out, by the way, on this idea of winning the day, um, just being faithful today to give these things over. I've always loved this verse in Lamentations. Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 23 says this. By the way, Lamentations is not a book that most people who struggle with fear and anxiety spend a lot of time in, but it's a great book. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Did you hear that? His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here's my understanding. In my own anxiety, I have them. My own fears, I have them. This season has been difficult for me uh, because uh, not only have I lost two Dear friends now, but I have a third that is not doing well at all in his fight with primary brain cancer. And so I'm watching these friends that I've built over the last four years begin to die, knowing I've got a scan coming up in January. That's the tomorrow that I got to go, uh-uh, not worrying about January. January will be there when I get there in January. My God's already in January. He knows what I'm going to find out. I want to be in today. So today I'm anxious. I want to trust that God has the mercy and the Holy Ghost has power to bring me through my fear and anxiety today and i'll go to bed tonight and and sleep well tonight and get up and there'll be new mercy there that's why because the mercies of god they never run out he's gonna give me enough fuel to lay these things down at his feet now the how becomes important and that takes us to first john chapter one verse six this has a lot in it but i just want to show you the invitation that's existent in it If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Listen, a lot in this text. Let me just make it a single line. The Lord's invitation to us repeatedly is to walk in the light. To walk in the light. Quit pretending to not be scared. You're not a child. You should be man enough and woman enough to go, I'm fearful about that. Even, look right at me, even if it's a ridiculous, unfounded fear that you feel like you'll be looked upon as being silly for. Is it still weighty? Is it still pressing on your soul? Because there are fears that are legitimate fears that have to be dealt with. And then there are fears that haunt most of us that are really kind of unfounded. Like there's no real objective evidence for it. It's even highly unlikely that it'll even occur. And yet it gnaws at us. Well, the invitation is walk in the light. Men in particular, quit that big chest of nonsense. Oh, God, you didn't scare me. You, look, you got a little urine on your pants, buddy. Well, that happened before. Right? No, be honest. And so what the invitation here is walk in the light. Walk in the light. And so around these things, I have my own anxieties and fears. I have invited guys into my life. Ask me these questions. My, my sweet wife, man, she just go after my heart ferociously. One of the things I love and don't like about her. And, and so like when Stevie died two weeks ago on Friday night, she like, I thought I was doing great, man. I was like, okay, she loved you. She's yours. She, her faith has become sight. Praise you that she knew you and that you sustained her through her suffering. And then Laura's like, how are you doing, man? 
It's like, I'm, I'm good. No, I mean, like, how are you doing? No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. No, I mean, how, Matt, are you okay? I'm, I'm all right. And then she called Josh. She's like, hey, will you check in on Matt? He started crying, asking. And so then Josh called me, hey, how you doing, man? You all right? You're, and, and so I want to walk in the light. I want to be open. I want to let you even know today. Listen, I've been struggling with this lately. It, it, the irony of the Holy Spirit is not lost on me that this is what I've got to preach on right now. You don't think it hadn't clicked in my head that God's trying to love me well right now? In this season to make this be what we decided a year ago that I'd be preaching on this weekend? Say he's good. You could trust him. Walk in the light around your fears and your anxieties. And maybe you still don't feel safe despite the fact that one of the elders has laid his fear and anxiety right before you. So what I thought I'd do is I'll show you another one. Uh, another elder who's going to be honest about his journey. So Bo Hughes is a dear friend of mine. Um, and in all honesty, one of the most gifted men I know. I got to be there when we baptized him in the Gulf of Mexico, crazy, years ago. All right, No residual effects of that, which is surprising. And, and um, Bo is an elder of this church and is the campus pastor up in Denton, and Bo Hughes lived from a very early age under a strange sense of fear and anxiety that brought about a deep depression in his life and, and began to be medicated for depression very early. I think he was eight years old and, and then uh, has, has really recently tried to come to uh, the end of that and dig around and see what was in that. And so I thought it would be helpful not only for me to lay my fear and anxiety cards on the table, but let Bo tell you his story. So this is Bo Hughes, uh, campus pastor of the Denton campus and a fellow elder at the village. My name is Bo Hughes, and one of the uh, aspects of this, my story that God has redeemed and is redeeming is that uh, I've struggled for my entire life with depression when I was three years old. Um, I think my parents began to notice some things, some habits that I was exuding in my sort of reactions and in my fits that were a little bit abnormal in their minds. And so finally they took me to the doctor and I think between the ages of three and four, they actually, the doctor actually gave my mom an antidepressant and I didn't really have a framework for what was going on. But once they labeled it and actually said, you're depressed, you're, you're clinically depressed and I began to take medication, that label, that name that they gave to what I was feeling, it was, it was really difficult for me. I hated it. That struggle never really went away. So from eight years old, I mean, I can remember all the way up and until honestly college when I became a Christian my freshman year of college, just really struggling. Just the fact that I knew something was wrong. I knew something was broken in me. And so I continued on in my Christian life. I, I got married and uh, actually became a pastor uh, right after I became a Christian. And, uh, and, and as I grew in my faith and as I began to learn more and more about what causes the sadness of our hearts, what causes the discouragement that so often can cripple us and paralyze us. A couple of years into marriage, uh, I decided to and spend a season trying to wean off uh, the medication, which let's see if there's something more than just biochemistry happening here. Let's see if there's really something in my heart that I've never addressed, even as a Christian. So, uh, so when I got off the medication, it was brutal. And of course, I, you know, my wife was with me and the elders of the church, they knew what was going on and I was going to see a biblical counselor and, and it was like when I stopped taking those medic that medicine, 
I, I reverted back to the emotional intelligence of a of an eight-year-old. So what I had struggled with at eight that they that I had just gotten medication for, all of a sudden at 28, with the medication and the shield that it provided, covering some of the symptoms removed, it was unbelievably dark. And the Lord is intent on not as much intent on taking away the pain as he is on teaching you to, to trust him through it, which is something I had never done. It was really difficult watching Bo go through all this. He just had a lot of really dark days and, and was just very discouraged and just in a place of, honestly, a lot of times despair. And I tried to fix it in a lot of different ways and my efforts just weren't working. And so I devoted a lot of time to just praying for him and surrendering it to the Lord myself. Um, I had a lot of compassion for him at that time and the Lord really gave me just a supernatural amount of just love and care for him. And there are definitely still days where he um, goes into discouragement and into despair. And uh, I'm able to see those coming normally and they get away for a couple hours and just be with the Lord and even praying for myself as I don't necessarily often have the patience that I did four years ago just begging the Lord to give me patience with it as well and even compassion and grace for him and his struggle. And that season, that long season was for a couple of years and I don't even remember when and I started to feel some reprieve but I do remember when I began to trust the Lord more than I ever had before and that was a, a daily thing where it felt like two steps forward and one step back and there's still days, even yesterday was a day where I just woke up and that old familiar feeling was there of discouragement and and so I, another opportunity to look to the Lord to lean on those around me and to trust him to continue this good work that he started in me to believe that what he started he'll bring it to completion Thank you for listening to audio from the Village Church, located in Texas. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about the Village Church, please visit us online at www.thevillagechurch.net.